Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and I'm part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We cover it all from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Transpecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With planting time moving closer, our Texas High Plains corn farmers certainly face some challenges but there's reason to feel optimistic too. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. An update from the state legislature on the agriculture budget and a feral hog control measure. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Easter's upon us and it's the planting season for gardens. Please join me, John Begnos. We talk about vegetable gardening in Texas. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The COVID-19 food chain bottlenecks that led to higher prices and empty shelves at the grocery store and lower prices for livestock producers in 2020 seems to have spared the Texas lamb and goat markets. Jessica Domel explains. Dr. Reed Redden, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service sheep and goat specialist, says that's because the sheep and goats raised in Texas supply non-traditional ethnic demand. The majority of lambs that are going to auction at the primary auctions, whether that's in San Angelo or Fredericksburg or Gold Lake, Hamilton. They're being shipped live to these major metropolitan cities spread across the U.S. where they're going to be harvested at, you know, smaller meat processors. And that's one of the reasons that the pandemic did not really have an impact on the lamb and goat market here in Texas is because of the diversity. You know, there's not just one or two major packers. You know, when we have a COVID outbreak and they have to shut down for two weeks, it has huge market disruptions. Well, that does not happen in the, the ethnic market because there's so many small packing plants spread across the U.S. That was Dr. Reed Redden. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The president of the state's largest general farm organization urged Texas House lawmakers this week to give landowners an eminent domain process where they can legitimately negotiate a fair deal. Texas Farm Bureau President Russell Baining. We hope to make this possible without folks having to hire an attorney, an appraiser, or other professionals because the landowner can't recover those costs. Maining testified in favor of the committee substitute for House Bill 901. The current law does not give the landowner a legitimate opportunity right up front. You can see it in the property code right now. You guys, I'm sure, have seen it. Section 21.0113 talks about a bona fide offer. Only has to be in, the initial offer only has to be in writing. That's it. The final offer, there's five things. Has to include damages to the remainder. That's been discussed plenty, if there's any. A copy of the written appraisal that must include damages to the remainder, if any. Number three, the final offer has to be equal to or greater than the appraisal. Number four, the easement agreement. And number five, the landowner bill of rights. We believe those things should be in the initial offer. We think that that's really important. And we think that that will help our landowners 
our property owners negotiate a fair deal. Wilson County farmer and rancher and Texas Farm Bureau President Russell Baining. Corn farmers in the Texas High Plains face some challenges here in 2021, but there's reason to be optimistic as well. James Hunt tells why from Amarillo. We certainly saw a big jump in corn prices immediately following the release of USDA's prospective plantings report, and David Gibson of Texas Corn Producers says the potential for profits is there, despite a run-up in the cost of inputs like fertilizer and fuel. I'm being optimistic that in the High Plains and other areas of the state, if we can make our expected production, we could still have a good year for our producers. But given the roller coaster nature of markets, Gibson hopes farmers make some moves to take advantage of the current prices. There's ways to put floors under the market without directly selling and pick some numbers that will fit your operation. You've got your numbers good. I wouldn't recommend doing everything, but do enough to kind of protect yourself. Gibson says the current situation suggests the December futures price will stay in a 4.75 to $5 a bushel range, but there are always things that could cause a downturn, such as if a disruption in trade hurts corn on the demand side, or if significantly higher than projected corn planting impacts the supply side. Meanwhile, as to USDA's projection that Texas corn acres will dip by 7% this year, Gibson says that outlook could in part reflect concern about water, especially in our region. Prices like this at one point would have really picked up corn acres. But now we've got a finite amount of water for irrigation. We're starting off the season for much of the high plains drier than we would like to be. And in parts of the panhandle, much drier than normal. Still, for those who are growing corn in our area, demand appears to be strong. Gibson says he's hearing that cash prices around the region are running about 30 to 75 cents above the December futures. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas legislature has been working on the budget for the Texas Department of Agriculture. Tom Nicoletti reports. We go to Austin, and today Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director Harold Stone joins us to give us an update on uh, the process with the TDA budget. And Harold, uh, there have been hearings and uh, over the weeks on uh, this budget and other budgets. Uh, fill us in on the TDA budget. Thanks, Tom. You know, yes, we are uh, going through the process here down in Austin in the state legislature. We have conducted our budget hearings in both the uh, House Appropriations Committee and the Senate Finance Committee, and the uh, committees are finalizing their recommendations. The Senate Finance Committee has actually adopted their committee substitute version of the budget and voted it out of the committee. Unfortunately, we weren't uh, very happy to see that the budget rider on feral hogs that we had uh, provided so much information to and and tried to get that uh, rider removed on that prohibition from using warfarin as a toxicant for feral hog control. We were definitely surprised to see that it still remained in the budget. On the House side, they are finalizing their recommendations this week uh, on Tuesday, they actually had their meeting, and we were surprised to see that they did as well leave the budget rider in the budget. We're sitting here with basically still having the budget rider in both the House and the Senate versions of the TDA budget, and we'll probably have to move on to the next step, which would be to try and get the budget rider removed on the House floor when the House Appropriation Committee takes the budget to the floor for a full vote for the House. 
Yes, and the feral hog situation certainly is an important issue for farmers and ranchers and rural uh, landowners across Texas. It's very important to us. That is one thing that we have definitely tried to convey to the legislature, how important to landowners to be able to get this product certified by TDA so that landowners can use it against these feral hogs as they continue to destroy crops and equipment across the state. The ability to have a product for you to control the feral hogs is uh, very important to us, and we have uh, definitely tried to impart our views on this to our legislators. As you know, feral hogs cause millions of dollars of damages to our Texas landowners and producers annually. From the state capitol, that is Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director Harold Stone. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Easter weekend marks the beginning of planting for Texas gardens. Horticulturalist John Begno has more from San Angelo. Traditionally, Easter weekend is the first time people try to put out those warm season vegetables. We might have the cool season vegetables, radishes, turnips, mustards, all that stuff in the ground, but things like squash and beans and peas and tomatoes, where you typically wait until Easter. And that's a funny thing because Easter varies every year, and sometimes it's quite early. But if you kind of look at your long-range forecast, which I recently did, shows that we may have our cool spell, maybe one of our last really cool spells, right around the day or two before Good Friday. So that's one of the things we can use. But we always throw in things like moon phases, farmer's almanac, making sure the mesquite trees have budded out so your signs of no freezes are impending. Well, those are all somewhat wise tales, but if you believe in them and they work for you, use them. It's the basics that make the difference in a vegetable garden, like good soil preparation, that's tilling it, preparing it with organic matter or manures, making it loose and healthy, plant selection, choosing those types of vegetables that will grow in your garden good, and then finding good fresh seeds and good transplants. A lot of people will say always use transplants when they're available. Well, that's not necessarily true because some plants like take cucumbers, squash, beans, or peas germinate so readily from their seed, and they do it when the soil temperatures are perfect for growing, so that tells you a lot of things. We also know that, for instance, it tells us not to plant okra now because okra loves really warm soil, and that's going to be way in into May. So use those things to determine what you plant and when you plant it, and now it seems through the central part of Texas and even on into the northern parts of Texas, it's a great time to plant those warm season vegetables. And you remember a few things. Seedling and transplant protection is important, of course, from deer and birds and things like that, but insects and wind. If you live in a part of Texas that gets to be very windy, give those young plants a little bit of wind protection and they'll establish much faster. This is John Begner reporting from San Angelo. There is good news for people who love bass fishing in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag today. And raising dairy calves can be a constant challenge both before and after weaning. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. 
Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, I grew up on a dairy, and one of my main jobs was raising those baby Holstein calves. That can be a challenge, both before and after weaning. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. Dr. Donna Amaro Phillips from the University of Kentucky indicates at Bovine Vet Online that 50% of the lifetime stature growth and 25% of lifetime weight gain occurs in the first six months of a dairy calf's life. So after weaning is also an important time. There are several recommendations to decrease stress in these calves, and one is to make a change one at a time. For example, make ration changes and allow the calves to settle into the new ration and then make housing changes. Do not change everything at once. Also, slowly introduce new feeds by starting off with a high-protein starter until they are eating 10 pounds per day, and then slowly transition to a high-protein grower feed and free-choice hay over a three-week period. Lots of calves are fed low-protein grain mixes with protein less than 14%, and these rations do not allow adequate protein intake when paired with forages that are less than 20% protein. Maintain calves in the same groups after weaning or at least limit the number of calves in a group to six to decrease stress. Dairy calves also need plenty of room, so make sure calves two to four months of age have 18 inches of bunk space per head and the area needs to be dry with good footing. Also, coccidia is a major protozoan parasite in calves that causes diarrhea and blood in the stool and using a drug to kill coccidia in the feed decreases signs of the disease and allows the calves to gain weight and be more productive. Switching to a diet with hay or silage immediately at weaning can decrease development of the rumen. So feeding some grain until the calf is six months old allows the rumen time to develop. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There's good news for people who love bass fishing here in Texas. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. The Toyota Sharelunker program hit some important milestones this year as it continues to improve largemouth bass fishing in Texas. The 600th Lunker was caught this season, marking a milestone in the program's 35th season. During the spawning period, which started in January and ended at the end of March, anglers loaned the program at least 23 bass weighing more than 13 pounds. Those fish have been taken to the Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens for selective spawning. Their offspring will then be distributed across Texas lakes. Kyle Brookshire, Toyota Sharelunker Program Manager, said it is a phenomenal year for anglers and the Sharelunker Program. We've had five fish over 15 pounds weighed in and loaned to the program. We've also had five new lake records set in just the past couple months. One of the bass loaned to the program this year weighed more than 16 pounds. It's one of the biggest fish ever documented in the history of Texas bass fishing. So we've had several of those that have been really, really close to the top 50 and then a few of those that, like that one that made the top 50. Ten reservoirs produced a bass weighing more than 13 pounds. Many came from OH Ivy near San Angelo. Ivy's definitely produced a number of them, and it has kind of a history of doing that. About 10 or 12 years ago, it's done the same thing where it had two seasons in a row where it just boomed and produced lots of lunkers, and then it went through kind of a drought stage, and from there, it, it caught a lot of water in 2018. Pair that with our intensive stocking of these selectively bred offspring, Florida genes, and then really good management and regulations over that water body, and a little help from Mother Nature, you get what we see now. That was Kyle Brookshire, Toyota Share Lunker Program Manager. You can find out more about the 
the program at TexasShareLunker.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We did not have any market trade on Friday because of the Good Friday holiday, so we'll take a quick look back at how things wrapped up the trading week on Thursday. The livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets are all coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Do you know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, trading is done for the week. We wrapped up the trade on Thursday. Of course, all of the markets closed on Friday for the Good Friday holiday. So we ended up closing lower for live cattle mixed on feeder cattle. Here's a rundown on the prices. April live cattle down 95 cents at 120.02. June down 35, 122.50. August live cattle down 45 cents at 121.52. Feeder cattle all over the place. April feeders unchanged at 143.87. May feeders down 17, 149.22. August feeder cattle up 72 cents, 158 even. Cash fed cattle market still fairly quiet for the week. We do have a few sales reported as high as 118 up in Iowa. Here closer to home, Texas Cattle Feeders Association reporting about 275 heads sold. Those cattle brought 116.50 to 116.75. Boxed beef prices continue to climb higher. We took a big jump on Thursday with choice up 251 at 249.63. Select up 660 at 244.73. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, 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 when you hear cattle bellering, it's time to head to Fredericksburg up in the hill country. And listen to auctioneer Troy sell. They're at Gillespie Livestock, Fredericksburg. Wayne, guys, White, how did the sale go for you this week? Well, we ended up with 810 head, about something like that, a little over 800. Cow marks probably two to four dollars higher. Had uh, you know, a lot of cow, good cows bringing the seventies, so he's quite active. A little more activity on some replacement kind of stuff. Looks like some people are buying some cattle to go back home. Chef market, quoted basically two to four dollars higher. Also, a lot of activity and quality was really good. Had, you know, had a lot of depth in the in the sales. A lot of people bidding. Better four weights up close to two dollars. Three weights up to two twenty. Five weights up to one eighty. Six weights. Uh, up in the low 160s, uh, you know, some sublates up uh, in the low 140s. So that was probably better also. Uh, the big deal was the heifers, so some sweet heifers. They're really nice. I can bring uh, over 600 and bring $1.44, which was quite a bit better. Four weights up to 165, five weights up in the 150s. So a lot of activity today, Larry. A little happy. I think the people ought to be satisfied. And, you know, every time we can get another dollar, it's that much better for everybody. How about next week? Well, I'm sure we'll have a good run. I got those 20 pair. They're big Angus cows with some 200-pound calves on them. And some other people have already called, so we ought to, you know, ought to have a nice run. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, whether it's sheep and goats on Tuesday or cattle on Wednesday. Well, Larry, we want to wish everybody a happy Easter, uh, healthy, and um, hope everything goes good. And remember what it's all about. Right, right. Uh, we're at 830-997-4394. 
Neighbor looks to me like that's all the time they're going to give us for this edition of Walking the Pens. You've been listening to us on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network for Wayne Guy White at Gillespie Livestock, Sheep and Goats Tuesday, Cattle Wednesday. I'm your host. My name's Larry Marble. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs. Closed out the week higher. April up 72 cents, 101.77. May hogs up $1.32 at 102.82. Class 3 milk was mixed. April milk down 9, 17.51. May milk up 18 cents, 18.41, 100 weight. The cotton market took a big tumble, mainly on disappointment from the weekly USDA export sales report. It looks like China canceled a sizable lot of cotton, so that was somewhat disappointing for the market. And we saw prices take a tumble down 293 points on the nearby May. It closed the week at 77.95. July cotton down 290 points at 79.27. December down 219 to close at 77.91 cents. The wheat market closed lower after a nice jump Wednesday afternoon following USDA's prospective plantings report. The report was actually somewhat bearish for wheat. However, the big jump in corn and soybeans seemed to pull the wheat up with it. The reality of those acreage numbers now settling into the market. USDA estimating wheat acreage at 46.4 million acres. That's more than we were expecting. We were expecting around 44.9 million acres. So that's up about 2 million acres from a year ago, and that's bearish for the market. July Kansas City wheat down 9 and 3 quarters, 572 a bushel. July Chicago wheat down 5 and a quarter at 610 and a half. The corn market mixed with the nearby May down 4 and a half, 559 and 3 quarters. But those new crop contracts continue to climb following that very bullish USDA acreage number on Wednesday. September corn up a nickel, 501 a bushel. December corn up seven at 484 and a half. In the energy markets, May natural gas up a penny, 262. May crude oil up 208 at 6124 a barrel. The financial markets higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 171 points at 33,153. The Nasdaq up 233 at 13,480. The S&P 500 up 46 at 4,019. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.